Acts chapter 5, verses 21 through 32. This is the first of three sermons on this passage of Scripture. Okay? So what I want to do is I want to bring you up to speed again over the last five and a half chapters. So real quick, follow through me, or follow with me through the first five and a half chapters. Starts out the book of Acts with the resurrected and glorified Jesus appearing to His disciples. It's important to note at this point, because we're going to come back to it later, that Jesus appeared 12 times between His resurrection and His uh, extension back into heaven. At times He appeared to only one or two people, and then there's at least one, one instance of Him appearing to 500 people all at once. Okay? So the next thing that we see in Acts as we're moving forward is that Jesus gives them, uh, the apostles, the instructions to wait in Jerusalem until the Father's promise, which is the Holy Spirit, is given to them. Okay? So wait and receive. Jesus gave them a mission, which is Acts 1.8. Okay? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so, in order to do that, Jesus knew, in order for the, the apostles and the believers to fulfill that mission, mission, we've talked about this a lot, that they're going to need help, okay? And so, He's a good God, He's not an unreasonable God, and so He's not going to give us, this, the church, this mission to go and do all of this, this mission um, message carrying all over the world without providing us the help that we need, which was the Holy Spirit. So Jesus returns to heaven, is the next thing we see, where God has exalted him and he now is Lord and King. The apostles who had been with Jesus through his ministry, his death and his resurrection, are now at this point witnessing their friend, their leader, their teacher, floating up into heaven on a cloud. Okay, If there's anything that they could have seen... Beyond the resurrection, the resurrection in itself was absolutely astounding. But now, now if there were any doubts, which I don't think there were in the apostles at this point, he's, he's returning to heaven from where he came, just solidifying the fact that he truly was God here on earth. The next thing that we see is that on the day of Pentecost, the promised Holy Spirit finally comes to the apostles and thousands come to believe in Jesus for their salvation as a result of Peter preaching the gospel. Okay, so the Pentecost event happens. It's, it's a wild, uh, crazy kind of time. People are hearing the, the apostles who were Galileans preach in all these different languages. It's, it's a miracle. People start asking questions and Peter takes that as an opportunity to preach to the world the message of Jesus Christ. Peter's message was the same as Jesus's. That's, that's important. Anytime you have a preacher preaching anything outside of what Jesus preached, then you should have some red flags and, and alarms going off in your head. But Peter's message was the same as Christ. It was repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a pretty simple message. What follows can only be described as an uncontrollable outbreak of Christianity. That day, thousands were added to their numbers. 
thousands and thousands and thousands of people continue to, to witness the apostles preach and perform miracles in the name of Jesus, and they become believers. Peter and John, as a result, are arrested. They're put in jail. They're tried, and the Jewish leadership uh, commanded that the apostles stop preaching in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John, they were filled with the boldness of the Holy Spirit, and they plainly replied, whether it is right or wrong for us to listen to you instead of God, you decide. But we cannot stop talking about what we have seen and heard. Peter and John are released and returned to the believers and they pray for more boldness to keep on carrying out the mission of Jesus. There was no whining. There was no complaining. There was no pouting. They just prayed and were steadfast and continued to carry out the mission. The church continues to explode and it is in the unity and the generosity of the believers that we see God blessing the body of Christ. Folks are living out their faith in such close community and in such love for one another that each person regards the other person's needs as greater than their own. And so they're, they're, they're selling property and they're giving their wealth and they're, they're sharing what they can so that no one has a need for anything. But we see at the beginning of Acts chapter 5 there that sin begins to creep in to the church. Acts chapter 5 gives the account of Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to the Holy Spirit. They were proud. They were greedy. They wanted to get glory. And God dealt with that sin swiftly and harshly by taking their lives in front of everyone. And it reminded the people, the believers and the non-believers alike, that God takes sin seriously. That God sent a message out that our best approach to life is one filled with fear and respect of our holy God and Father. Then, quickly, we see that the church gets back on mission as the apostles continue to perform miracles and healings. The church builds a reputation based on meeting the needs of the community and pure devotion to the teaching and mission given by the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the apostles at this point is where we're going to pick up here in a minute. They're all arrested. Okay? All 12 of them are arrested. And, 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 and thousands and thousands of more Jews are converted to Christianity. The Sadducees were filled with jealousy, and in a panic, they try to snuff out the growth of the church by, by placing the apostles back in jail, and they intend to put them on trial the next day. But a few weeks ago, we, we, we looked into the scriptures, and we saw that an angel of the Lord delivered the apostles out of the jail, and he led them back to the temple and instructed them to teach the people what, all, what this life was all about. And then we just simply see that they obeyed. And that's where we pick up here in verses 21 through 32. So read along with me here. 21 through 32. In obedience to this, they entered the temple complex at daybreak and began to teach. There was the obedience. When the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they convened the Sanhedrin, the full senate, of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the jail to have them brought. 
So they don't know that the apostles have been taken out of jail by an angel. They, they've gotten together. They've kind of probably gotten their, their prosecution you know, uh, down. They know what they're going to, to accuse them of. They know what they're going to say. But when the temple police got there, they did not find them in the jail. So they returned and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing in front of the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. As the commander of the temple police and the chief priests heard these things, they were baffled about them as to what could come of this. Someone came and reported to them, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple complex and teaching the people. Then the commander went to the temple police and brought them in without force because they were afraid the people might stone them. After they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin, and the high priest asked, Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? And look, you had filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior and to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. So in this scripture, I want us to look at a few verses here and I want to show you just a few things tonight that I think are important for you to understand when you're looking at what your life as a follower of Jesus should look like. Okay? And so if you're not a follower of Jesus tonight, here's the introductory course, okay? This is what you can expect. If you are a follower of Jesus, start examining your life against what you see happening to the apostles in their experience. Okay? Examine yourselves against Scripture. So the first thing I want us to look at is back in verse 21 through 24. And this is where we're going to camp out today. This is all I'm going to preach on are these four verses. Here it is. In obedience, verse 21, to this, the angel telling them to go to the temple and to preach and teach these people about what this life was about, they entered the temple complex at daybreak and began to teach. When the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they convened the Sanhedrin, the full senate, and the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the jail to have them brought. But when the temple police got there, they did not find them in the jail, so they returned and reported, We found the jail securely locked, sealed up, doors were locked, the guards standing in front of the doors. So they didn't fall asleep. They didn't go on break. The guards were there. But when we opened the doors, them, we found no one inside. As the commander of the temple police and the chief priests heard these things, they were baffled about them as to what could come of this. Notice, notice that their biggest concern was not how did it happen, Okay, Their biggest concern was not who helped them. Their biggest concern was what's going to come of this? What's going to happen? Notice that those in charge of the arrest and the detainment of the apostles are worried about what could come after the miraculous jailbreak that has just occurred. Okay? 
It's a miraculous jailbreak. They don't care how. They don't care who. They don't care when. They want to know, okay, how are we going to deal with the fallout of this? Okay, so why do you think that that was their main concern? Why do you think that the fallout of this miraculous jailbreak from prison was their main concern? I personally would have been like, okay, I want to know how this happened. Who is responsible for this? But that's not what they seem to be concerned about. Let's go back to Matthew 27, verse 62 through 66. And I think that we can find out why they were so concerned about what in the world are we going to do in response to this? How are we going to control this? Look at what, what the Bible says in Matthew 27, 62 through 66. This is after the crucifixion of Jesus. He's dead. He's been put in the tomb. And the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they go to Pilate. And here's where we, what we see. The next day, which followed the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days I will rise again. Therefore give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come, steal him, and tell the people he has been raised from the dead. Then the last deception will be worse than the first. You have guards, soldiers, Pilate told them. Go and make it as secure as you know how. Then they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting the guards. They sealed it. They locked it. They put guards there. To stand and watch and make sure that no one came, no one left, no one got in. And so just think, then with Jesus they had done all they could to make sure that the body of Christ would rest safely and securely, sealed behind that large stone and guarded heavily by the Roman guards. And despite their best efforts to keep Christ dead and buried, they failed. Now they had arrested the apostles sometimes after this event. And this would have been fresh. This was the whole deal. Okay? This was the big thing that they were, they were, they were now dealing with the fallout of that jailbreak. Yet, uh, jailbreak. Do you understand now? So, so the, the Jewish leadership, they had arrested the apostles, placed them securely in a locked jail under the watch of trained guards. And once again, their best efforts to control the situation is proven to be inadequate. That's when I would have started to ask the question, who's behind all of this and how do we get to him to get him to stop going around us and letting these people out of these, these prisons that we keep putting them in? That's, that's what I would have started asking. But no, the, the, the Pharisees are only worried about how they're going to deal with the fallout of this jailbreak. They were worried about what could come of this jailbreak because they were fully aware of what came about after the jailbreak of Jesus. After all, that first jailbreak from the tomb was what started the whole thing off. That's why they were in trouble. That's why they were losing control of the Jewish people. Is because this man that they killed, they crucified, they put him in a tomb, they sealed it over with a rock, they put Roman guards there in place to keep watch, and they were like, we just got to get to day four. We just got to get to day four. Because even if, he, even if they steal him after day four, we can say, no, 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 your master said day three, and it didn't happen. 
So they're, they're not even thinking long-term here. They're just thinking we've got to make this man a liar at least once. And what better way to do it than when he's dead? But they couldn't. Started this whole thing off. And I love God's style. See, whenever Jesus raised from the dead, after Jesus died on a cross for our sins, you've all heard this story. Don't tune me out because you've heard this before. We don't outgrow the gospel. You don't get tired of hearing that Jesus died for your sins. You get more glad and thankful hearing over and over and over again that Jesus died for your sins. So don't tune me out here. Jesus died in your place. If you get over that, then you've got a real problem. We don't get over that. He died in your place on a cross. He died a criminal's death, a sinner's death, even though he knew no sin. He was perfect, spotless, blameless. The, the actual Son of God living as we live in the world that we, we live, under the circumstances that we live, but yet he sinned not. But because He was that perfect offering to God, He was the only one appropriate. He was the only one qualified to go to the cross. Because see, you've sinned, you deserve death, no big deal, right? Justice. You sin, you deserve death. Justice. But mercy is Jesus carrying the cross. Mercy is Jesus being nailed to the cross. Mercy is Jesus taking the beating. Mercy is Jesus dying the sinner's death. And God's justice is satisfied in Jesus taking on your and my punishment. And so He dies on the cross and He's put into the grave and they just gotta get Three days in. That's all they're after is three days. But that's not God's style. God's style is to do what He says He's going to do and then to do it in a way to where people have to deal with it. See, whenever Jesus rose from the dead, which is what, what God said He would do, was what Jesus said He would do, he walked out of that tomb and he didn't go underground. He didn't lay low. He didn't go undercover. He didn't, he didn't disguise himself. He didn't put on a mask. He didn't, he didn't walk around under a shroud hoping that nobody saw him because if they killed me once, what are they going to do? No. He walked out victorious. He walked out in public places. And like I said earlier, he appeared 12 times between his resurrection and his ascension. I'm going to run through these real quick. I'll put them on, on, on uh, my, my blog later tonight so that you can fact check me. But get this. Number one, he appeared to Mary Magdalene in Matthew 16 and John 20. Okay. Number two, he appeared to, two, uh, to the other women at the tomb in Matthew 28. Number three, he appeared to Peter in Jerusalem in Luke 24, 34 and in 1 Corinthians 15, 5. In four, we have the account of Jesus appearing to two travelers on the road in Mark 16. Then, number five, we have ten disciples behind closed doors and Jesus appears to them in Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20. 
all the disciples, including Thomas, excluding Judas Iscariot, we see Jesus appearing to them in John 20 and 1 Corinthians 15. And then number 7, he appeared to seven disciples while they were fishing in John 21. And then number 8, he, he appeared to 11 disciples on the mountain in Matthew 28. And then number 9, get this, he appears to 500 individuals at once. 500 at once in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. He appeared to Jesus' brother in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. And then those who watched Jesus ascend into heaven was Luke 24 and in Acts 1. And then, lastly, he appears to Paul later on in the book of Acts. And so 12 different times after Jesus has been resurrected from the dead... Now, of course, I guess I need to, to go back and clarify. There was 11 times between the resurrection and the ascension, and then he appears to Paul sometime later. But he appears to Paul, making him that the 12th encounter of the risen Lord appearing to people. Do you see why they would be worried about what's to come? Because Jesus didn't publicly raise from the dead. Or he didn't privately, he publicly rose from the dead. It wasn't a private thing. It wasn't a secret thing. He, he appeared to people and it forever changed the course of history. Without the resurrection, we have nothing to believe in. Without the resurrection, we're just like every other world religion who worships a dead person. But we don't. We worship a living God. And so in the same way, God brought the apostles out of jail and He takes them back to a public place and that is God's style. When God delivers us miraculously out of the prison that we find ourselves in, He displays His glory, He displays His power, He displays His, His ability, His love, His graciously, boldly through 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 the outward public actions of those people he's impacted. So maybe some of you tonight um, are, are kind of in a jail. Let's talk like figuratively, meta, uh, metaphorically. Maybe some of you tonight are in a jail. Maybe you've been handcuffed uh, by a sinful relationship with a boy or a girl where you give yourself to them in ways you, you know you ought not to. And you don't want, I mean, you know it's wrong, you know it's dangerous, you know that it's out of the context of what God wants for your life, but you keep doing it anyways because you're afraid of rejection. You're, you're afraid of, of what the relationship will look like if, if all of a sudden you're not doing it. You're afraid if you'll even have a relationship anymore, if that's not a part of it. Maybe you're handcuffed behind the bars of pornography. You go to it, you look at it, you indulge in it, and then when you're done, you feel like dirt, you feel small, you feel ashamed, you feel just rotten, and you swear, you swear it off, you clean the computer screen, you, 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 you promise God that you'll never do it again, but it's your own little secret prison and you just find yourself back in it over and over again. Maybe you're handcuffed in the prison of self-idolatry. Maybe you are the most important in your life. 
Maybe you are the idol. You care more about what other people think about you than anything else. You dress to impress, even if it means that you dress to show more than you ought to. Or you dress in such a way because you have to fit in, you have to be cool, that you pressure your parents into buying you clothes that, that cost more than anyone should ever spend money on, on clothes. Money they don't have, but because... They want the best for you. You manipulate that and, and you go out and get a $150 pair of jeans or an $80 shirt. All to be cool. Or you'll throw others under the bus because you have to be cool. You'll talk down about other people because you have to be cool. Because you have to get the approval that you're looking for. Maybe you're bound by drugs and alcohol. I don't know that that's a problem that's running rampant in our youth ministry, but it's possible. Nobody knew I was bound by drugs and alcohol when I was a kid because I came to church and I was a really good actor. I just acted like everybody else, right? If we just act like everybody else while we're at church, we'll just all assume that everyone is okay. But see, that's why I keep telling you to examine your life against the Scripture. Because you can't look to me and see if you're living it right. You can't look to the people there in the seats with you and see if you're living it right. You've got to look into the Scripture and examine yourself to see if you truly are in the faith. Because as long as you're comparing yourself to me, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. But you know what? That doesn't really matter. Maybe you're just self-righteous. Maybe you're a Christian because you've always been a Christian. Maybe you're a Christian because you've always been Baptist. Maybe you're a Christian because you said a prayer one time and got baptized and, and you know, that's, that's, that makes you a Christian, right? You're a, you're a member of the church. You, you come to Sunday school more than anyone. It's your self-righteousness, the things that you do that make you a Christian. Maybe, maybe that's the prison that you find yourself in tonight. Maybe you're incarcerated by fear. And this is, the, this is the one that I think gets most teenagers. Especially most, most church kid teenagers. Incarcerated by fear, you know, after listening to, to sermon after sermon after sermon, God has revealed it to you. He's made it plain that you are not a true follower of Jesus Christ. You're, a, you're a, a pretender at best. You try to muster up the actions. You try to look the part. You try to say the right things. You try to be involved in just enough to appear saved. But in reality, whatever prayer, whatever decision, whatever event happened in your past... You either didn't mean it or you didn't understand it. And God has revealed it to you that you are no more saved than that chair is right there. But you're afraid. You're afraid of coming clean. You're afraid of making that known because what in the world is my granny going to think? I was terrified to go home. But you know what? This is, this is something that, that, that I want you to know. When that moment is right for you, when the Holy Spirit is working on your heart and you have decided, I am ready to follow Jesus, the gates of hell will not be able to stop you.
They won't. You may still be afraid, but you will have such a piercing of the heart that if you don't follow up and do what it is that the Holy Spirit is leading you to do, you will literally think that you're going to go crazy if you don't. But some of you are still stuck in that fear. And you've got, to, you've got to somehow work it out to where you're not afraid of what mom and dad will think if you confess that you truly didn't believe back then, but you do now. You've got to stop buying into these lies that Satan gives you to say, well, you're going to disappoint everybody if, you weren't really, if they know that you really weren't saved all those years. You, know, you realize how insane that is? That the parents who love you, that the friends who love you, that your youth pastor who loves you, we just want to know that you have a right relationship with Jesus. And until you get to the point of having a right relationship with Jesus, nothing else in your life is going to make sense. Every relationship is going to be empty. Momentary satisfaction is, is what your life is going to be, be made of. So whatever you're caught in, let me just tell you that Jesus sets you free. He is the one who has the power to walk out of the tomb. He is the one who had the, the keys to, to bring the apostles out of their prison. He is the one who can deliver you from whatever it is that you're facing tonight. Jesus told us to seek first the kingdom of God, and after that He would help work out all the other details in time. But here, let me, let me, let me give you the opportunity to be set free, but I want you to do this. I want you to count the cost. Jesus said count the cost. I will always do my best to give you the full picture of what the gospel requires. One, the gospel requires nothing for you to be saved. You are saved by grace and not of your works. When I say it costs you nothing, it means that you cannot deposit anything into a spiritual bank you cannot earn anything by your good works. You, in fact, you will send yourself hell to quicker. You will send yourself to hell quicker by thinking that you can do it on good works than by thinking that, that anything else. That it's the good deeds that you, you stand on that will send you to hell quicker than anything else. But listen, it's free and you can't earn it. You can't. You can't deserve it. And tonight you have an opportunity. But, but listen. Here's the cost. Just as Jesus conquered our sins and raised from the dead and then went on a tour of public appearances proclaiming the good news of who He is and just like the apostles who were miraculously delivered from the city jail only to be placed back in front of the multitudes to show the people what this life is really all about, you too, once saved and delivered, will be led to boldly live out your faith publicly. That's the cost. I don't believe there is any such thing as a secret disciple. I believe that there are those who confess... Christ as their Lord and Savior before others, and there are those who don't. There is no fence riding. I, 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 just, I don't believe that Scripture gives us any room for secret disciples to make people feel okay about being ashamed of the Gospel. If you're ashamed of the Gospel, you've got some serious getting right needed before God. You, you need 
to get right with that. And so that's, that's the cost. Will you give Him your whole life? Will you give Him your talents? Will you give Him your relationships? Will you give Him your addictions? Will you give Him your intellect? Will you give Him your beauty? Will you give Him your athleticism? Will you give Him, will you give him your future? Will you give Him your, your, your future wife, your future children? Will you give Him everything that, that's burdening you, everything that's ahead of you? Will you give Him everything that's behind you? Because that is what He requires. To deny yourself is to, is to give Jesus everything and to only walk in what He allows you to have. Which is a cross. The glory of the cross. The security of the cross. The joy of the cross. The beauty of the cross. If you're willing to count that cost and accept Jesus, then tonight you can be saved. Just like Peter said, repent. Turn from your sins to Jesus. Be baptized as a first step of obedience, a first of many steps, a lifelong process of obedience to Jesus Christ. And follow Jesus. Let's pray.